welcome to Commissioner Wilson's virtual office hours. Woo! Sorry, caught me in a drink. <laughs> Hi, Commissioner, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Good to see you guys here today. Yeah, it is always so good to see you. Um, so excited to kind of go through some of the updates. Uh, for those of you who are not typically on the page or following what Commissioner Wilson is putting out there, welcome. Thank you so much for following and for joining the virtual office hours. Um, as always, um, you can email district1 at ocfl.net, go to nicolewilson.org, or even just put some comments in the chat right here in the comment box and engage with our office at any time. Yeah. I'm Lou Perry and, Com and Commissioner Wilson's policy aide, Hannah, is also on the call. Say hi, Hannah. My dream team, they're both here. Hello. Who you can't see because he's always on the other side of the camera is Drew. And I had all kinds of guilt, you guys, at our community meeting the other night because I was like, oh, my team's here, Hannah. <laughs> and then I like at some point once they had moved away, I'm like, Drew, I'm so sorry. Because really, we, we rely so heavily on his ability to do the type of um, filming and, and, and live streaming that gets you all the information that we try to get you. Because so many of of those meetings, you know, we'd either just get kind of a summary or some quick minutes, but we can, we get more in video than I'd say any other office I know of, and it makes me really grateful. So thank you, Drew. Love you. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Drew. You know, I just want to say that I know how to pick a good team because Drew, I kind of stole him. Um, I forced him into work, working with our office. <laughs> No, no, he came so excited to work for government like we all did. Um, so Commissioner, for those who got to see all this awesome traction on social media, you had a, an amazing Rights of Nature uh, presentation at Barry University. I love, that's my alma mater. I am very proud. I'm a proud graduate and I feel very honored to have been invited back to talk about some of the work that really kind of, you know, launched from some of the folks there at Barry. So it's not just me. I had the opportunity to learn from brilliant professors. Um, Sister Pat, who was an attorney and a nun, who really felt like she was you know, mission driven to, to see nature as a something that holds rights, that something that should have rights and that, you know, all of law is a human construction. And so when we think about the application of, of rights to nature. People act like it's this really kind of crazy idea, but a hundred years ago, women having the rights we have now was a crazy idea. You know, so we we can we can kind of peel back those layers of where rights were acknowledged and legally upheld. And before it, before they were acknowledged and legally upheld, they were considered completely outrageous and shall I say it, radical. But we know that we have to have a, we have to acknowledge that we're part of a natural cycle of, of everything because without that, we are gonna perish. And I mean, you know, I think for people who think that this mission is solely driven for the inherent right of nature, I agree. I think we should honor mother earth. I think we should honor nature, but you're, if we don't, the consequences will be, you know, really, really dire, if not complete end of times for all of us. So I think, you know, if you don't want to get on board with the idea of saving nature for the, for the beauty of it, understand that without water and air, you're going to die. And that's, I mean, to me, that couldn't be any more fundamental. Very well said. We are nature. We are nature. You know? 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think to be able to talk to the students um, about it was really cool too, because learning in law school about what it takes to get into a courthouse and for people who want to bring forward a lawsuit and you think about a environmental something that's really environmentally damaging or harming and you think or you can foresee that this is going to be a really bad idea to do something and you want to stop it because you know and you and you know you can speak for an entire group of people um the court says no you can't you can't do that because they have you don't have there's no harm you have to be harmed it has to be timely there has to be some redressability what can the court do to help you so without having those acknowledged legal rights there is no ability for anyone who hasn't already been poisoned to really do anything to stop whatever that harm is and so you know environmental attorneys over the years and public interest had to do things like go out and find kayakers that may have ended up you know, in a polluted river or, you know, find people whose um, grazing animals drank out of a polluted lake and died because that now you've got a substantial harm that you can bring forward. But we should be able to do it just because that piece of nature is harmed. And that's the idea of rights nature. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's still some developments taking place, but I think we would be remiss as an office to not mention the shooting that took place last weekend and some of the gang violence that is ongoing in Tildenville and in East Winter Garden area. Um, you know, we have a very good relationship with Captain Ela, who keeps us informed, but just so people know, um, please, please, please call the crime line. You can look up just crime line Orange County and find the number in the first search um in yeah. order to give any information that you might have on these incidents that have put two young men in the hospital listen i, I mean that community has you know there are there are residents in that community that have worked so hard in the last year to you know hand in hand with you lee to try to make sure that they were bringing positive environment positive change positive events and in, in trying to be um forward-looking and how we can plan to make this an even better community and to really honor the past and make it a better community and all this work feels like it has you know a ding in it a shadow on it when when something like that happens and it was a recent shooting and of course the people that have been working so hard out there are horrified and saddened and appalled and everyone's scared for their safety and none of us should live that way so this wasn't the people who are you know that are invested every day into making their community better. This, these were not them. We don't know who they were, but we are looking, and I know law enforcement's actively investigating if you know anything about it. If you know something, you've got to say something. There was a, I guess, a young person yesterday at um, one of the high schools out here in District 1 that did have a, a firearm in on him at school, but another student alerted the officials. And, and I think that took a lot of courage, but this idea of see something, say something sounds very trite. It sounds very like, well, duh, but, but it's not intuitive, right? If you are somebody who really doesn't want to get hurt yourself and you see something and you think, is there going to be retribution? Am I going to have to like go down to a police station? And, and, you know, an anonymous tip can sometimes be the game changer. And, you know, sometimes people see things on social media. There have been really awful events stopped when a social media post was screenshotted and sent in to law enforcement. So don't don't hesitate to do it. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And they'll be like, oh, nothing happened. There was no actual gun. But if you're right, it could be, it could really make the difference. So, and somebody out there does know who that was and what happened. And we wanna make sure that we're not, we're not leaving the people in that community feeling like nobody's looking out for them. So in order to embrace 
them. And if you live somewhere else, but you've somehow heard that this happened and what happened or any piece or part, please, you know, reach out. I think, um, it, once again, there's anonymous ways to do that so that we can get the um, law enforcement officials information that they can use to then pick it up and, and take it off and figure it out themselves. Awesome. Um, and we will be reporting more on that as we learn more. Um, another thing that is uh, that has been going on this entire semester, but something that we're really excited to promote tomorrow will be an intern appreciation day. Um, as you know, we have interns that come every semester and we're looking to re-engage a new team this next week. So please email either district1 at ocfl.net or lee.perry at ocfl.net with your resume if you're interested in being a part of the team. Please, please, please do. We absolutely love our interns. It's really important because I think that even though we are all, sometimes only together for a semester, you know, when that happens, we get to take a piece of each other away for the rest of our lives. And so having that interaction and understanding that it's usually part of someone's educational journey, I always feel like, you know, we're really honored to be part of their educational journey. And I hope that they remember the work we're doing along the way so that, you know, some of the good that comes out of our office continues to be multiplied out in the world. And that some of the, the things that they um, have learned along the way can be applied there, or who knows, maybe they'll come back into government and apply it in a different form in the future. I know that's Hannah's story. So, you know, I think it's been such a great, a great thing to have. And I think, you know, it makes us feel really optimistic in our office, right? To be able to engage outside of the bubble that is government. So please, 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 if you're interested, if you have um, someone in your family that's interested, please apply. It's true, I started as an intern and we have a whole variety of internships available from admin to policy to social media communications. So definitely reach out. Mm -hmm. Awesome, so there were some things that we, we had to take off of the agenda last virtual office hours to talk about. Um, there were some major updates that we still have a lot of constituents asking about. So maybe you wanted to get started with one of the most prevalent, which is the Elysian development. Yes, so this is a, um, a, a parcel that's down actually right across the street from Waterley neighborhood um, in Horizon West, not far from Horizon West High School, not far from um, the 429. And actually this parcel is kind of sandwiched in between Avalon Road and the 429. And back in the late 90s when Horizon West got its future land use map uh, designations, it was des designated as an apartment home district. So that was its future land use, but it was still zoned agriculture. Um, a rezoning happened recently because the um, a developer wanted to put on it apartment homes and had planned to do that. And residents months and months ago, and, and Lee, you were there with me, they were really concerned about what, how rapid the development was, how quickly we were adding um, lots and lots of people somewhere that we didn't have finished roads, that we didn't have finished schools, and that we weren't necessarily considering all the ways that they need to come and go from things. And, you know, they, they really brought up in our meeting down there some important issues about response times from fire and rescue. And, you know, because they were supposed to have had two entrances to a neighborhood and they haven't finished this other one, but we're still adding people, will that, will that put them in danger if there is a 911 call? And I think these were all such important questions. And when this application came forward, for rezoning for an apartment complex, that area got very plugged in. And I am so grateful because they 
went to the first community meeting, they stated their concerns and it was all the same things. And they said, we're worried if we squeeze all these people into this small area that we don't have the infrastructure. It's not an urban infrastructure. And we don't know if that's gonna be able to withstand that number of people. Is there any way that this apartment can match the other apartments here? Can we bring it down a little bit? Can we leave some of the trees that are on the site? Can we set it back away from, from the entrance here so that it looks more like the smooth transition to a, to a single fa family neighborhood where they're detached homes? All very reasonable requests. And um, they continued to make those points. There was some discussion about whether you know buildings could be rearranged on the site. It's this very strange triangular site. Quite frankly, it doesn't look like it would have been for this use anyway, but in 97 and since then, I guess somebody in our planning department thought it was a good idea. And that's you know, what they considered a consistent use. And um, so when we spoke with residents and we listened to, we actually, we listened to what happened at the public meeting, um, Hannah really worked hard on making sure that, that she gave all the information to the applicant, that staff knew what was going on and Right before the first hearing, we got information about um, potentially a different layout, um, a different design, architecturally the look was gonna be different. And then, you know, my question all along about the density was I understand if this is designated for apartment home and I can't do anything about that and that's fine. Can we talk about the range of population and the density in there, right? So if we think that we're concerned that there's not going to be, you know, good adequate public facilities for the highest end of that range. If we come to three floors and we arrange it in a way that makes more sense, you know, will this be more workable? I couldn't get an answer. I couldn't get an answer on the range, on the density. Was it, you know, 16 to 25 people per, or, you know, was it 20 to 25? And so as of five o'clock the night before that first public hearing, I still didn't have that information. Well, I, I will tell you that on top of that, the next day during the hearing, there was another slide that was presented um, that I never got to see at all until we were at a public hearing. And it showed the other apartment complexes and in, in trying to make the case for the applicant that it could be as high as, as four or five floors. And so there were some things that I felt like were inconsistent. That was one of them. The other one was that there was a setback waiver that was asked for in the first one. And the setback was a concern for the residents. They wanted to make sure that there was, you know, they have that kind of narrow sidewalk in front of there and they wanted to make sure that the building wasn't gonna be right on the sidewalk or was there gonna be parking right on the sidewalk? How's that gonna look? All very valid concerns. And so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't quite get my brain wrapped around the fact that I had this agenda that had information in it that continually seemed to be changing. And here we were the night before a hearing and an agenda, this is an illegal document, right? Because this is a posted and it's, it's, um, it's gotta be noticed to the public under law that we notice the public about a public hearing like this. So to have inaccuracies printed and published and distributed and then be at five o'clock the night before still changing what we think should have been said in here. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. We need to go ahead and continue this. So we did, we continued it um, over the challenges of the applicant. And the applicant said, no, no, I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> And I said, look, I want to do the right thing here. No one's trying to deny this. We're all trying to come to something that's going to work. And, um, you know, sort of finally got him to continue it just to the very next meeting, which was last Tuesday. Um, that gave us enough time to say, look, Mr. Woodall, this is, here's the, here's the deal. 
the applicant, I want you to know something. These people aren't telling you not to build your project. What they're telling you is, can you make it match? So you make it look like something that's always been there. Can you make it not a sore thumb and can you make it safe? Can you make sure that these people are going to be safe and be able to, you know, have, you know, are we going to learn in the after afterthought that, that, yeah, that entrance didn't work right there because this is something the residents saw that we didn't see. So, you know, I asked very point blank, did you listen to the residents? Have you heard what they said? Have you incorporated it into your design? I reiterated all the things the residents asked for, and it was really very straightforward. Like I said, buffer, setback, and making sure that they it matched, right? The three floors and the pitch roof. So it looked the same. Um, and it none of it, none of it seemed to sink in. <laughs> And I mean, Hannah stopped me if I'm missing something, but the next day the public hearing resident representative got up and said, you know, we appreciate all this engagement from, from staff and we really appreciate the, um, the developer for meeting and listening. And uh, we're hoping that this really works out. And so I said, okay, well, I'm ready to make a motion for approval and we'll just put in here conditions of approval include um, that it's going to be three stories and that the architecture is going to have the pitched gables, the look of their community. And uh, the applicant absolutely threw a temper tantrum, and I'm not exaggerating. It was a, that's not fair, Commissioner, and you didn't meet with me, and I didn't get a chance to. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not true. We were all in the same community meeting. We all heard the same things. You haven't changed. Your, your story hasn't changed. So you know, whether or not I, I met with you every day for six hours, unless you were going to compromise, this isn't on me. <laughs> these issues and the reason why I want to make these, these conditions for approval are because it felt like a compromise, right? You're still getting every bit of the right for that usage on that parcel. They're getting what they feel like would be a good fit and safer for everybody. And he refused to include those motions for approval or uh, those conditions for approval. And I said, okay, well then unfortunately I'm gonna have to make a, a motion for denial because this was where we all felt like we had come after all these days, all these conversations, all this, you know, hashing out and back and forth. And I couldn't get a second. And um, I think actually at that point, the applicant said, and staff agreed with me every bit along the way. Staff agreed with me every bit along the way. Come here. And basically called over staff and one of our staff members. You think they're working for you? You think they're working for you? Maybe you should ask because I, I was in shock. Walks on over to try to back up whatever he's saying that's in contradiction to all the things that we know are actually in the staff report and that comply with our comprehensive plan. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Just come on over and get my seat. If you're gonna take over for the elected, come on over. And because my feeling about it is that if our staff in our planning and development department is at the beck and call in shoring up an argument, not a defensible argument because this was in the range of things that were permissible in that area, then I don't really have a job there, which means that you have been tricked, right? If you voted for me to go in and make those decisions and that kind of needs to be exposed. That needs to be, I, I, I was stunned. I, I called them out on it. I tried to, you know, express it in an email later. Like if, you know, the, the reality is that you basically undermined any ability I had to represent the people who hired me. And the citizens hired me, I have the right and I have the legal basis to come in and say within this development zone, here are the ranges of things we can ask for. And I'm telling you, this is what's going to work for everybody. 
And then when you tell me as a developer, no, I think, okay, then I guess we're not working together. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to say that we'll, we'll just deny this. And I was stripped of that ability, completely stripped of that ability. It was motion was made by another commissioner and it passed. So once again, district one, you're being represented by somebody else. And I think the only thing that I would add is um, just to clarify, this was over 14 unit difference. So when the commissioner and the residents were asking for a transition, they were asking for one building to be dropped to three stories from four, which would have been 14 units. And this happens a lot where the applicant frames it as this is what I'm entitled to. So I'm already making a concession. When the request in October at the community meeting was 324 units and the request that Tuesday was still 324 units. So nothing actually changed, but they frame it as if, oh, I could do five, but I'm doing four. I'm doing you a favor. When no, you know the role is not for you to be doing us a favor. Our role is to represent the constituents and your role is to work with us. And to balance so, those things, right? We hear these things right. about the concerns about safety. That developer, he doesn't live right there. They have an understanding of what happens when school lets out and where, where there's congestion and rush hour. They get all of those details that you can't get unless you live somewhere. And so I think it's really disappointing to see that when that happens and we are in our legal right, and yes, you're exactly right, all they were asking for was within that range to have some flexibility so that the design made sense to have the complete evisceration of that discussion because staff is like whatever whatever he says we're going to get up and say is right and i i just couldn't I, you know it was one of those where i thought okay am i you know am i misinterpreting what he's saying here when he calls them over to approve to agree with what he's saying and i went back and watched it again and i'm like nope that's pretty much what happened is that he says, no, they've agreed with this all along. I've done everything they said to do. They've agreed with this all along. And I'm like, but that's not what we're saying. They've agreed to a plan within this range. It, you know, literally there's a range. So, and this was rezoning. This isn't like he already had all of, you know, he was like, oh, I've already put all this money into design. This was a rezoning. If you put money into design before you've had a rezoning hearing, you're just not doing it right. That's not what you do. And, and you know, you don't have to be a, a large scale developer to get that, but this is a large scale developer. But he's also someone that's so used to holding the keys to this county that everyone cowers to him. And so it was to me extremely alarming on so many fronts that I didn't have any, I didn't have any backup, you know, from the administration. I had no backup from staff, except for like, I'm not gonna go, I don't wanna name names because then they, you know, they probably get tossed, but I had, you know, a little backup from people who were over there, but not in a position to really give any more power to the people, which is really all the people were doing. They weren't asking for a denial. They were just asking for reasonable design standards. And so it just, it was an unbelievable um, display of control and power in this county, right? So seeing, that you know sometimes people think oh there's this power struggle between cities and county and there's power struggle. the state and the, the biggest power struggle in this county is between the developers and anybody else who tries to question them and so it was just a really disappointing thing my residents out there in waterloo i'm going to keep doing what you asked me to do that's all i can do but i want you to know that when you interact with the county you can ask those tough questions of everybody and I mean staff, administration, and everybody else that sits on that board, they should be able to defend their answers. If they're making decisions for District 1, they should come to District 1 community meetings. They should come to all of the District 1 community meetings because they've hijacked the whole process. Why am I going to the community meetings? 
I should be out there just, I don't know, maybe being on your side and I can get up at the microphone and make a plea to them. And, and then that way I'll actually be more comfortable because that's where I was before I got here. My hope was I'd get here and then because I do know my community, I would have a chance to actually help advocate for you in a place of power. So, you know, I mean, I, I it's a very, it's a, it was eye-opening. It was disappointing. I've had a lot of time to think now about what to do going forward and how to approach this. And I think the thing I'm going to try to do is literally try to invite, like when next time he has an application come through and we have a community meeting, I think I'm going to invite the entire administration, all of the staff, all of the team, anybody that got involved here that basically pulled this out of my hands, you know, and pulled it out of your hands. And then we'll just see, you know, if that helps, maybe they'll understand better if they hear the community in the community, if they go to a community meeting and they get to hear the community. And that's all I know what to do. I really don't know what else to do. I mean, I, I kind of thought, do we need to go to um, commission districts that are, you know, at, at large elections, right? So that you can hold them accountable. That you can say, I'm not going to vote for you if you keep if you keep backing up, you know, if you keep backing up things that are not in my best interest. But even that, unfortunately, if we do that, then there's there becomes a power kind of a power center, and so smaller communities don't get the right representation. So you don't want to do that because you're like, well, I want all communities to have representation. So I like the idea of district commissioners, but district commissioners should have the ability to say, this is what my community told me, and shouldn't that get some weight? So, you know, there's where we are. Sorry, that was probably way longer than it should have been. I know we have a lot to talk about, but I just feel, you know, really strongly that the people in this county deserve better. And I think the people in this district deserve better. They've been so engaged. They try so hard to communicate and they should be represented that way. Absolutely. And if I could just add one more thing of clarification for people who live in Waterley, and you may have received this via email because I know I've been communicating with a few of the people who live there. Um, but this particular property also has a development plan. So at your request, we did ask staff for a community meeting for the development plan because we're going to keep fighting for you. And at the commissioner's request on your behalf, there is still a potential, although maybe not for the roof change not totally sure about that one yet we might be able to still put the larger building building one at three stories instead well, of four, I mean because the, the conditions at a maximum of three and four stories which buildings I was thinking about that so because you know we're updating that horizon horizon west standards now they haven't been implemented yet they would have permission to that's do right so they're already waiting for us to approve the code for that so you know what we'll do we'll pull that from code Right. I mean, there's just got to be other ways. And I and I, you know, I, I don't I don't like the idea of applying something that, you know, would affect so many things. But I think that if you if you see that somebody's using the upcoming change of code in order to take advantage of, you know, what I felt like was some pretty straightforward requests for to make something fit. And, you know, this is going to be, like I said, a lot of structures on a tiny piece of property, then maybe that's evidence that, that doesn't belong in code. You know, it hasn't gone to it hasn't gone to public hearing yet. So maybe we raise the flag on that one also. All righty. Well, one other major thing that we didn't have an opportunity to talk about, but you were definitely um, asked from multiple residents about Bird Island. Yeah, I I had the opportunity to go actually for the um, grand opening of their beautiful new um, city facility. Their town facility. It's so the police station in in Windermere used to be sort of like almost felt like modulars or a cottage, and and so they didn't have a lot of room, and there wasn't a lot of room for the administration. And 
Um, this is a beautiful, and it matches. It's crazy because it looks like it's always been there. And on the inside, it feels so much bigger and roomier than it, it looks from the outside because, you know, Windermere has that kind of old Florida architecture. It really fits so well. So it was a lovely event. I got a chance to catch up with so many of my Windermere friends, people on the tree board, people on the Butler um, Chain of Lakes advisory board. And, you know, they all kind of wanted to find out what, what's happening to protect Bird Island, what's going on out there, you know, at the, at the county. Um, with that bird island ordinance because they all worked on it for what a year there was you know, it, my predecessor put that into motion after there was a tragedy there there has been several tragedies since and this was a year's worth of work by our environmental protection division in conjunction with um fwc with the state in conjunction with law enforcement and not just one law enforcement agency but both the sheriff's department and the city of windermere um and with you know residents there were and Audubon Society I mean everybody so everybody was in on this there were several public engagements um really well attended meetings where people talked about what they thought would work and you know what the distance would look like and the visibility issues and no wake versus and there's a general understanding that this isn't going to be the fix it all um update but it was something that we could do almost immediately to allow for um some some protection for swimmers that were not near props that would also keep people off of the protected um, bird island, you know, where they're trying to make those, where they're trying to protect the land for the birds, right? This is actually a preserve. And it was obvious to me back when that first work session happened that, that there's a perception that it was a public park, that it was somehow open to the public and that, that moving forward with any protections there would somehow deprive the public of something that was theirs. And it's not, it's actually, you know, it's held in conservation by Audubon and then it's um, protected in large part by, the, you know, Florida Wildlife Commission and, and with other entities to try to make sure that that the, the preserved part of it is preserved, right? So that those entities aren't there to protect humans. And the during the presentation, there was a lot of information about the need to protect the area because it really is one of the few nesting grounds for some endangered and imperiled species, but also that if we could try to keep the boats off that shore from beaching on the shore, that we could potentially um, really keep them people safe because the props and people combination is, is deadly. And, you know, people that live out there, community groups in this area, they spend a lot of time going out there and cleaning up broken glass, styrofoam coolers, because people, they, they go over there and they party. And unfortunately, sometimes when you get a lot, a lot of people together and a, a party like that, they don't regard each other's safety and they don't regard the integrity of a preserved island. It doesn't belong to them. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't even belong to the city of Windermere. It belongs to Audubon Society. So long story short, we were ready to move forward. This was a work session and it was supposed to go right from there to the next BCC to be heard and then voted on. And it would update um, not just for Bird Island, but some other code updates that were in conflict with the state. So these were really important updates that EPD worked for a long time on. And um, the mayor had a couple questions and uh, they were answered and, and the mayor indicated at some point that he wasn't sure what this was trying to get at. Is this for people safety or is this for nature because those are different things and are we creating false expectations was the word he used, which I don't know what that means, but I tried to say, you know, I don't think things like that have to be mutually exclusive, that sometimes when you're protecting nature, you're protecting people because people are nature and 
by the way, broken glass isn't good for feet or for, for birds. So, you know, I don't know what that question was about, but to make a long story short, uh, we got an email right after that. And it said um, that it was pulled, that the update, Bird Island update was pulled from the next meeting's agenda. Um, I sent an immediate email back saying, hey, there was no vote, there was no consensus. Um, why would this have been pulled from the agenda? So there was no board action and board action is required in order for something like that to happen. And I said, could you show me that, can I get the rule of procedure that was invoked? Because if there was a board action, then you know I need somebody to show when it was, I didn't see it. And there wasn't a board action. There was no board action. The mayor had some questions and it got pulled. And I don't, I, I wish I knew why, I wish I knew what that was about, but I was really disappointed because to this date, there's no, I've been given no date known in the future. I've been given no more information about what was unanswered there where we had people that could answer all the questions. Um, and I've had no ability to relate to the people in Windermere that, that were listening to them. The people in, in, I mean, you know, not just people in Windermere, anybody that has any interest in keeping, you know, this, this, in, the integrity of this preserve, right? So we have an obligation to even the owner, you know, as a, as a holder of a conservation easement. So, you know, I, I wish I had an answer. I will tell you as soon as I do, I've asked, I've talked to one of the administrators at Solomon again today, and I was like, I need a date certain. Just give me a date certain. If you know it's coming back, or if it's not coming back, tell me that. Because what I think right now, transparency is essential. Very well said. And, you know, the, the complete disregard for the migratory birds whose habitat is being completely chipped away from all the erosion and the noise and the plastic they might be eating from people just disregarding their trash. I mean, that's the whole reason why that was there. And it became a very human-centered conversation. But, you know, but ultimately... Even yeah, even if it is. So let's just say, let's just take out that, let's just pretend that it's not Audubon Society, that it was not a, a bird, you know, sanctuary, that it's not, that it wasn't set aside specifically for that. Let's just take that all out. And let's just say that, you know, for the interest of the fact that I know the mayor was a sheriff and that he does think about public safety, we had the sheriff's deputy there who said, yeah, it's not the perfect answer, but it gives us a lot more to work with. Right now, we can't see if people are beach, we can't see if they're up on the island or if they're in their boat. And by the time we get over there, they're back in their boat and they're like, I'm not trespassing. Wasn't me, I didn't do it. Whereas, you know, if there's a buffer around there, that swim zone, which is part of this update, it would allow for that really easy visual from far away. So the enforcement tools get better. And, you know, so even if we just talk about the safety, there doesn't seem to be any I don't know, Lee. I mean, it's, it's very confusing, right? Because we are people who are operating in a space where like, we obviously have common sense and we have the public's best interests in mind, but to be completely honest with you, it's starting to get, this is where po politics starts to get a little bit jarring because sometimes it just feels like they're going against you just because it's you, just because you kind of spotlight holes and gaps in their votes and in how this county is run. And in the same BCC meeting that you were, you know, showcasing your frustrations on how quickly the developer was able to get into the ears of all the commissioners and how they're prioritized in the decision-making process over the constituents who are our actual bosses. In that same conversation, you're over here trying to say, there are protections in place for this island and 
that is the intended use and this is something that needs to be followed through, it's almost like the only way it would make sense is that they just wanted to say no because you were the one trying to push it forward. I mean, so much staff time and tax dollars went into developing this ordinance for multiple years. Why, why would you turn it down now? You don't know, and, that, and that's the part that is very mysterious to me because, you know, you're talking about something that was of interest to one of our municipal partners, right? So we're also right now trying to get them on board with our transportation plans, and we've worked so closely on so many other projects. And, you know, we had the city manager sitting there in, in, in the room. I, I was mortified because I'd already told him, you don't have to speak. If you want me to introduce you, I can. And we have a really great relationship with this municipality, with the, the residents with our advisory board that has to work with both, right? Our advisory board there has to deal with EPD and city of Windermere because those, those codes have to overlap for, you know, the, the environmental protections and for the building. And I just think it's like a, it was just a very strange and surreal moment where I thought, I don't know if I can, I mean, sometimes I can figure out the motive for something like that. And I could, I just don't, I really don't know. I think there's, you know, unfortunately, there's going to be a risk to everyone because of it. And, you know, and I also think it's an interesting, we talked about rights of nature and you come full circle with this, that if that had been a, um, you know, Bob Seegers, and I'm just making up a name, uh, private property that this was happening on, right. That it had this, this beachy area that people were doing this on, there would be no question about enforcing a no trespass. There would, we would be, you know, full guns blazing, but because it's conservation, once again, not public for the public, but it's conservation held by a private, an NGO, a non-government organization. It doesn't get the same trespass enforcement. I mean, it just makes, it's very, it makes no sense legally. It makes no sense socially. It makes no sense in conservation terms. And it certainly is a disrespect, I think, to the people who have been working on it within our, within our staff, the EPD folks that have worked really hard, people at, at FWC who are really, really short staffed. And of course, our, our law enforcement, they get stuck with the mess. They have nothing to enforce. They have to go out there and, by the way, have had to, like, you know, scoop for a dead person because of it. And, you know, how do we answer them? Not on my hands is what I just have. It makes me very frustrated. And I, we're, we're, you know, we're accountable for this. We are accountable. Right. Well, this is a perfect segue to talk about the fact that you... You ran on Split Oak and yet again, the complete regard or lack thereof of nature is just thrown out the window and Orange County is letting the voters, our bosses down. Yeah. So this is such a weird time. And I think, you know, if you see the circles around my eyes, it's not just because you guys know how busy we've been with county business, which county business has been, you know, very busy, right? We have a lot going on and and as far as trying to make sure that we're keeping up with everything that our constituents want to, us to do, but also because coming into this office, people know that I worked really hard in conjunction with, with other um, environmental groups and with residents who were concerned uh, for two charter amendments that went on the ballot that were properly vetted through a series of meetings that the language is dissected down to every last word. Um, they were balloted and that they were historic in their approval. So they weren't just approved, they were historic in their approval. The, you know, eight out of eight, eight out of nine residents who voted in Orange County voted, yes, please do this. And these, these measures were on page three, 
they were, um, you know, we thought they're going to get skipped. People aren't going to notice them. People are going to think this is going to be an unfunded mandate. It wasn't an unfunded mandate. Basically, one of them requires an extra layer of protection for an already protected forest. And the other one basically says, hey, residents of Orange County, your body's a water you can be guardians for, basically. So the, the right to clean water is this idea that, 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 that you have the right to clean water. That you have the right to protect that clean water if you need to in a court of law that as lawmakers, we have the right to clean water, that we can enforce anything that says don't go through that wetland, don't affect that lake. And so this right of standing to protect the bodies of water, and I mean, just natural bodies of water, it was really strange when that one came up because everyone was crazy about, oh, this is going to affect HOAs and, you know, this is going to cost the golf course. If it's man-made, it was off from the very beginning. It was never contemplated that it would, it would only be natural bodies of water. And so the idea that, you know, of making sure that we were protecting these treasures that once they're gone, they're gone. And this is, you know, as a shared um, entity, something that people really care about and they show that they cared about it. Well, lo and behold, the, um, the first case that is really being tested here in right to clean, right to clean water was a county uh, piece of property until they realized how much wetland was on it. Um, then they had the city of Orlando annex it because the city of Orlando does not review wetlands in the same way that the county does. Under the Clean Water Charter Amendment, it shouldn't matter. That should have been because it is the waters of Orange County and it should have been applicable. Because there is a preemption that was put in after we, after we balloted this item, um, the county said, we're not gonna try to enforce it. It's not enforceable because the state says that it's preempted. The city of Orlando doesn't really care because they don't really review it anyway. So um, citizens and um, other non-governmental um, non organizations filed suit. And you know the suit isn't just to stop what they're doing to damage the waters of Orange County, um, although that is part of what we're hoping comes from that is to see that, that this is something that really is a substantial protection, but it's also because in order to um, overcome getting those decisions, right, where we see in law that it's something that we know with evidence that we can move forward past um, the first couple stages of a motion to dismiss and, um, and you know, to get to the next level and have a judge actually really dig in to the rights that are awarded to local governments in order to fulfill the Florida Constitution, Constitution which says that local governments have the right to keep people safe um, for their welfare and their health. Not just that right, but also the idea of that right to the um, clean water, which is a right to life. You know, and you think about the people who really believe in the constitutional mandate of right to life, and there is no life without water. So how are we going to make sure that, you know, when we talk about rights, that we are eliminating the surface waters, drinking water, and critical waters for flood control and filtration? We have to include those. So, you know, that's coming. <laughs> that's coming on the 26th. Um, Split Oak, another charter amendment that was really blood, sweat, and tears for the Charter Review Commission, who, you know, a group of appointees who really got into this without knowing all of the detail, and they did their homework. They worked so hard on this language in trying to protect what is already a protected piece of land. Split Oak Forest was really set aside in the, you know, long time ago, in the 90s, by Orange County, Osceola County, and they utilized, um, the at the time uh, the way the conservation easements were titled 
Um, right now it's under Florida Communities Trust. So it's a state agency and the review actually falls under the state agency. When the Central Florida Expressway Authority made plans for the Osceola extension, they decided that it would be cheaper to go through public land, you know, because they they thought this, you know, we'll just take the public land. Who's gonna who's gonna charge us for that? And the idea of actually purchasing right of way was something that they they couldn't finance because it you have to have you have to be able to prove that you're gonna make that money back under a certain period of time. They couldn't they were they weren't gonna do that because they were making this toll road to benefit a developer who wanted a big, huge development on the other side or sold us. So, you know, the idea of taking public lands away from the public without public input and for the benefit of the developer and it, there's really no public benefit, it's a toll road, you have to pay for it anyway. It was a very long process to make sure that we really felt like we knew that, first of all, they never took a look at alternatives. And that's, there's, a, there's a mandate within the statute that says that if you're going to dispose of conservation land or you're going to ask for any modification, that you have to be able to evidence that there were no feasible alternatives. And they never did that. We actually, you know, there were volunteer attorneys that went door to door in the area that we felt like was the alternative. And those people who were ready to sell could have gone out and around. There was no, there was no reason why they couldn't have done it. It just would have been more expensive. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that once CFX chose that route, they basically just landed it on Orange County and Osceola County as two entities that really had the duty to not dispose of these conservation lands um, without really good cause and said preferred route, take it. And, and Orange County and Osceola County at the time got a presentation by the Central Florida Expressway Authority. Osceola County passed it with only, you know, I think Peggy Chowdhury, hero down there was the only one that dissented there. When it came to Orange County, it was not a unanimous vote. Um, but there was one commissioner who in particular went to bat to have the, the toll road go through there and even read a letter during her time in discussion um, during the public hearing, you know, trying to advocate for this toll road going through Split Oak. And the, the vote passed and the application went in to Florida Communities Trust and it's sitting up there right now. In the meantime, the voters in this area got really mad about that because they were like, wait a minute, so hold on, we bought this with our tax money. It was used as mitigation for development of the convention center and other Orange County projects. It's actively still being used for gopher tortoise mitigation there right now. And the we're meantime, just gonna give it away 160 area, acres of it because, that. because why? It's and so people really were undone about it. Well, the private developer right. who wanted it done this way, we're just going to give it away. Well, hundred we should do. We could give some land for that land. It's and we're going to give you some really crap land about it. Here, well, for that land down there, who wanted it done this? I love the idea of a private entity donating land. It's a great thing, right? We get lost cuttings of great lands that way. But then that makes, in this case, that whole thing a land swap because they want to take this for this. And that was the negotiation. And there was an agreement that was brought forward from Tavistock saying, we will give you this if you use this. And that's a land swap. And under Florida law, under Florida statute, a land swap requires a different threshold vote on the county commission. It wasn't the threshold they got. And there was a good chance they couldn't have gotten the threshold they needed. In the meantime, a group of citizens started getting together and figuring out charter amendment um, that they could put on the ballot because a ballot, a big election was coming. It went, it went on the ballot and it, you know, overwhelmingly, once again, like the right to clean water passed. Um, and yet Orange County did nothing to withdraw that application from Florida Communities Trust. So it still sits there as is. 
I tried very hard because I came into office on the tails of all of this and people were like, oh my gosh, do something. They're taking down every last tree in this whole area, do something. And I'm like, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try. I'm really gonna try. Got here, immediately started saying, what's going on with the application? Have we you know, peeled back, have we rescinded? Can we pull it back? We now know so much more. We know that first of all, it was probably put in under the wrong thing. It should have been a land swap, not a, a linear facility. Second thing, we know how the voters feel now, and this would be literally a an affront to democracy to keep this going. Crickets, didn't hear anything back, didn't hear anything back. Finally got something back that said, um, you know, it, we as staff, this came from administration, we have to stay the course until the board does something. The board has to do something. Well, I'm on the board now. This is great. This is good news. We're on the board now. I'll write a memo. Let's get it on the agenda. I wrote a memo, mayor, commissioners. We should really revisit this. This could be revisited. We should rescind it. We now know more about the linear facilities not being applicable. We understand that this was something that the voters felt very strongly about and that they never satisfied the alternative, you know, route. Please, let's bring this back. We can bring this back and or just rescind it and let it go because the voters spoke loud and clear. Crickets again, crickets, 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 long time. And then I finally get a memo back from the county attorney's office. Um, speaking on behalf of the county that says that I am the only one that can't bring it back. That because I wasn't there for the 2019 vote, that it can come back. There can be, they can resend, they can pull it, but I'm the only one that can't do that. That memo went from the county attorney to everybody. Um, and I kept thinking, well, good, well, at least that information's out. <laughs> that information's out. And then that information's out. And here we are, you know, here we are next week, Florida Communities Trust is going to review the application to roll back the protections at the direction of Orange County and Osceola County. How frustrating. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is why people feel so burned out from voting and that their vote doesn't matter because there are other loopholes. There's loopholes. And, you no. know, it's, it just feels like people elected you. That should have been a huge sign that if you're going to do what the people want, they're gonna do something similar to what you did, which was speak for the trees. Um, and it's an election year this year, and this is an easy thing that is already you know, surveyed from the people because 86% of the vote voted. Why don't you run on being a champion for Split Oak? That seems like an easy win for everybody, but for whatever reason, and I proved it can work. I was an unknown. I didn't, I raised two cents. You know, I literally had no money in my, in my coffer. And my position was, can we please think about the way that we're growing? Can we please protect the investments we've made? Can we please leave something to our children? And can we be honest and transparent? These are not high bars, Lee. This is not a high bar. And I think it's so disappointing that here we are, you know, I've been in office for over a year. And here we are that that message didn't resound with the people in power. I don't, I really don't understand. It's so disappointing, but I, I knew coming in, there was a lot of money and a lot of power on the other side of this. And so, you know, to your point about it being election season, I would say that if you went back through and looked at donations that you would see why some of those things haven't changed. That some of those entities that really want that road where it, you know, where CFX says it should go to benefit those entities that position hasn't changed. So they still feel like they're in power because they're still giving money to the power. And so I would say that still vote, 
you know, and, and, but hold those people accountable, right? Like they, you voted for that charter amendment. Don't let them get away with not, with not honoring that. That was something that the county voted overwhelmingly for, for them just to set it aside. Like you didn't find that on page three, which you did, is such an insult to the voter. And I think the worst thing I heard coming into government in general was this sort of like idea that people are sort of stupid out there. They're not gonna, they don't really understand what that meant. Yes, they did. They did understand. They understood that this was conservation land purchased by, you know, two counties to be held aside and not developed on. And that the state of Florida was like, yeah, we can, you know, help you fund that for now. You pay us back. They worked it out. And I, and I think that they even understand more that if we compromise on any conservation land that we've set aside, that we don't have any shot against anybody on land that we haven't set aside, right? It's open season on, on, on lands that we're just trying to like get the zoning, you know, pr like protected zoning on, finding some places that we can say, hey, this is a class one wetland, don't build on this. That, that is like, it's an, it feels in, like insurmountable if we can't even protect the things that were already set aside. You know, and here we're investing in green place funding, right? Green place funding is this, you know, great idea that we're buying and holding land in conservation. But the message Orange County is sending right now is, well, until we need it. Until we need it. We're going to use your tax money to buy that and hold it in conservation. Until we need it. That's the message. So I, I just, I, I hope that, I hope that, first of all, when this goes to Florida Communities Trust, and I don't, I'm not 100% optimistic that they're going to review it in the way that we need them to review it, but they understand that because the Constitution of Florida says that unless it has lost its conservation value that it needs to maintain its integrity as conservation land that they uphold that if they don't think that that is applicable which i can't imagine why they wouldn't but if they don't because i know that these are government they're governor appointees so there may be some you know there might some politics there too that i hope that the secondary evaluation is that that it's not a linear facility the application is under linear facility linear facility is your power lines it's your um pipe it's a pipe you know i mean pipelines are put in under linear facilities it is very rarely something that severs 160 acres now they're like oh, no 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 the the toll rolling takes up 60 acres it severs the hundred and you can't have a hundred severed acres in a conservation land because it doesn't operate then as an ecosystem you can't use that for its best ecosystem use like it is now because all of that area for the types of flora and fauna that they have that are rare and specific to that area, it requires burns, it requires certain temperature variations, all those things that can't be done if there's yeah. a freaking road on it. <laughs> yeah, it's called habitat fragmentation. And for whatever reason, a lot of people on our staff need to go back and take Ecology 101. And a lot of people over in Florida Department of Transportation and the Expressway Authority, they just don't understand that it's not same thing with that word mitigation. You can't just take critical thousands of years worth of established, established habitat and just copy and paste it somewhere else. Like that's not how it works. Mitigation is such a scam. It is such a scam. So, so it's an industry, first of all, and people getting rich on it, but so, you know, let's say I've got, you know, I've got, I've got two items here, right. And this item I'm going to have to destroy for something. And what I'm going to say is that um, when I destroy this, it's okay because I'm going to mitigate it with this item. Well, but this item was already here. 
right? This is already here. You're not giving me anything. You're not creating anything. This item was already here. And by the way, that only means until they need to do something else. And then they can be like, hey, we'll mitigate this. We got to work. We got to do something here. It's okay. We'll mitigate it here. No, that was our, there's no gain. Mitigation doesn't get, you don't gain anything. It's already out there somewhere and shouldn't probably be touched. But what it does is it's a shell game because we're like, we'll set this aside to destroy this. And then we get over there and we're like, oh, you know what? We'll set this aside to destroy this. And the community that relied on the benefit of whatever that ecosystem is, has now been deprived and they're not getting it back because they don't necessarily, the only, the law says it just has to be in the basin. That you know, the basins don't, they're not done on county lines. It's not jurisdictional. They don't know where socioeconomic, you know, strata says these people need cleaner air, right? We, that we have a higher asthma here. And that to me, you know, when you talk about environmental justice issues, mitigation is up on the list of things that I think are, are the, like such an injustice because people think that they are mitigating when they destroy a, a, a natural ecosystem here. And by, by, mitigating out of the county because it's in the same basin or whatever, those people will never get the benefit of that ecosystem again. They will never get the beauty, the air, the water, it's gone. So there is no mitigation. That's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a scam. Right. Well, <sighs> to be continued, we yeah, will see. Team Orange, Lee. It's so hard because I want to be Team Orange. I want to be Team Orange. I want to be in a county that is trailblazing and doing things to think about that and preventing asthma and helping communities that have lost their trees replace those trees that have take, you know, I want to be somewhere that we can take retention ponds and make them beautiful wetlands. And I just, it just feel, I see the bruise on my head. That's why I bang my head against a wall and try to make these points and try to bring forward data and try to say, look, this is what the people want. Look how clear their votes have been and just hasn't felt like we've moved the needle. I know we have, it just feels so frustrating. And I think the fact that both those charter amendments that were so popular with voters are under attack right now, they're not just they're not just, you know, in trouble. They're not just in, they're under attack. Like active attack just feels, it, you know, it feels like a betrayal. Right. Well, this ties us into our favorite conversation, transit and transportation. <laughs> As many of you have probably been following the work sessions that have been taking place on the transportation sales tax, there's been a lot of comments that have been both good and bad about Im implementing a tax right now. Uh, April 26th, it's coming back for a public hearing so people can actually come to the chambers between two and five and prepare to, to speak on your sentiments of a transportation sales tax. Right, it affects you and we really invite all public comment and I think it helps, I really do. Uh, for me, it really helps because I think philosophically, I wanna support it. I wanna support robust infrastructure. I wanna support the idea of having alternatives to our roadway and like people could use more transit here across the board. We need protective bike lanes. We need more trails, we need our trails to connect. Those are all expensive things. I don't have any guarantees right now that any of those things are gonna happen with this money. So I am, I am sadly not where I need to be. And I, I, I appreciate having the engagement with people in administration and in, you know, the different departments that have been working on this. Um, but, you know, part of the conversation was really disappointing in hearing that, you know, getting an east-west connection um, for rail or for anything outside of just your regular auto lane 
that, you know, and this is, I'm going to quote the consultant. You have to crawl before you walk, walk before you run. Because he basically was saying like, we can't go from no public transit out there at all to having an east-west connection. And I literally looked at him and I was like, uh, walk before we crawl before we walk. We're standing, we're standing still. We're not going anywhere. There's no movement. You know why? Because it's all jammed up. We don't have any choices. And you know, we have 80,000 new residents in district one. So for them to be like, well, there has to be demand and there's gotta be some demand and you gotta show demand. And like, I, I, I think demand should be probably something because you don't, you, if you don't have any transit at all and you're saying that you can't even anticipate transit until we have demand, that just go out there and sit in traffic for a while. I think that that should give you some indication of demand. The 80,000 new people that we got in the census on just district one should give you something about demand. So it's just disappointing. Like the idea of, a, you know, that they were like, oh, we're adding a new connection for Sunrail. And it's another, it's another North-South. I mean, it goes Northwest and one goes Northeast, but it's, you know, Zellwood to, I mean, it, it's not where you, you would think people who have moved here and work in our largest employers really need to go to make this entire area more transit friendly and usable and to pull cars off the road. So, you know, well, I mean, I'm still collecting so much information. We're going to keep on doing that. I think there's just been, there's been such a neglect in our public transit that, that this paradigm of showing that because we don't use public transit out here that we don't get public transit is so broken, you know, and my conversation with our, the person who really has overseen our roadway development over the last, I don't know how many years, and, and, and really he, he builds roads, that's what he does, and I'm like, the idea of showing me the map of all the road improvements that you want to do and places you want to build roads is the opportunity to show me how you can make it transit friendly because the way we can create that demand is to make sure that those buses aren't in the way of cars because they have their own space right here and to make sure that you know we can prove that we have more bike riders as transportation um, because they feel safe and they've got a protected bike lane. <laughs> these, I'm, not a, I'm not a traffic engineer, but these all seem like very intuitive things for me. And they were confirmed you know, back when we were able to meet with um, Winter Garden and, the, and some of the amazing people who helped design the downtown Winter Garden area and, and making it a very bikeable and walkable community. And trying to relate that back to an entity that does, they just do roads, that's what they do. And, and so, yeah, I just, I don't have any confidence that that's not how we're gonna keep on doing things. Well, I think, you know, after we went to the Hunters Creek community meeting on Monday and shared um, updates and kind of, you know, information on some solutions, um, it's evident that a lot of people are very concerned about pedestrian safety and infrastructure needs and, you know, lighting on, on the uh, timing on the lights and just better visibility. And, and that's all money. It's all expenses. But, you know, there's also frustrations with congestion and with commuters. And, you know, there are solutions that need to be kind of promised yeah. um, right now. That's the other thing, Lee. Right now, inflation has really, really walloped people and, and our rents are up, our mortgage. I mean, everything, interest rates are going to be going up on mortgages because they're trying to control for inflation. And that that is a, it's a good economic policy to raise, you know, those interest rates to try to get inflation under control. But people are hurting right now. So I need to be able to say, here's what you're specifically going to get for this investment. And th that would give me so much confidence if I knew that. 
And so that's what I've been asking from the get-go is I need something that I can say, this is what we're going to get for this. And especially in district one, where we have grown so much, where we are so much of the tax base, you know, when you think about property taxes. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Commissioner. Any last words as you sign out? Um, I just want to remind people that I, I literally am still listening about, about the transportation tax. I, I, there's a lot of people who come up to me and say, are you a yes or no? Are, and I'm like, I, I sound like such a lawyer, but it, it depends. It depends. It depends. And I'm not, I'm not there yet. We got, finally got some of the survey results, but they're still taking survey. And when I tell you, you wonder when you do a survey, if anybody looks at it. And we are looking at it. I'm literally marking, you know, by the side of the um, the open-ended comments. If it's somebody that's interested in, in bike trails or biking, you know, protected bike lanes, I put a B. And for transit, I put a T. And for roadway, I put an R. And then for people who are like, no, don't don't vote yes, I put a negative on the other side. And so I'm really literally reading through them and looking at those comments. So please, please, please participate. They really do matter. And a lot of it confirms things I've been saying up on the dais to the you know entire commission. And so the, you're, you're being heard there. Now, I don't know how it's gonna, you know, how it's gonna resound if it gets to the ballot, but then it's back with the voters, right? And we can, we can let the voters decide. Awesome. Thank you all so much. We value and appreciate every single one of you. Please sign up for the newsletter at NicoleWilson.org and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.